Hey guys, Sklar Brothers here from View from the Cheap Seats podcast. And this week we have one of the best sports writers in the game. And he's got a great podcast as well. Jonah Carey joins us on the podcast. Did you have fun on View from the Cheap Seats, Jonah? I had the most fun and my commute was about 14 steps down to my living room. We did it in your living room. We're in Denver. It's a little road. uh, I'm going to call it a road victory for us all. We all There's no one I want to talk to more than who right now during these baseball playoffs than than Jonah Jonah Carey. Carey. So join us on this episode because we take the deepest dive. Let me just say there is a three a <laughs> Mordecai three, three finger, finger brown reference. There you go. That's and by there. the way, Gar Ryness is not here. I'm kissing him. I'm, I'm giving love. a shout out now. I feel like he always needs to be at least in spirit. When we love talk. to the batting stance yes. guy. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost 1 million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. And if, uh, well, you know, just welcome. That's what. That's, you know what, if, you know what, if, you're welcome. Um, If you haven't listened to the show before, it is just what the title implies there. It is a conversation with me and a brilliant person, usually in the creative manner, or oftentimes a uh, sort of a uh, activist, sometimes a combination of musician, activist. I've talked to some legends, some great people who are doing magical things in the world. And today I speak with uh, a man who wears many hats, Cyrus Garamani, and he does music for uh, a lot of comedians, Brett Gelman and Joe Mandy. He he scores some shows on uh, Adult Swim. He also works with many great musicians like uh, Ryan uh, from Man Man, who I interviewed a couple weeks ago. And uh, he's a very, very interesting guy. I'm trying not to lose my mind while I do this intro because... Um, Lately, uh, I live outside the loudest place on earth. There's been jackhammers and like leaf blowers and lawnmowers all at the same time, and my upstairs neighbors, who uh, and I don't mean this. I'm not. I I don't mean to be politically incorrect, but the one lady is. They're married, and uh, he's kind of like a simpleton, and she's kind of borderline retarded. I mean, she's kind of, she's got some palsy here, but I don't know what you call it. I've just always called it retarded, <laughs> and I know that might not be politically correct, but I, that's what it is. Anyway, like, I woke, was woken up the other day by her screaming, it's Spider-Man! Spider-Man! And uh, I, I don't know, there was like a little tinge of anger, but there was also excitement, I don't know, but I'm living in this loud house. Can you hear the jackhammers? I just... I used to live in the quietest neighborhood, and that's why I liked living here. And now I, I live, I might as well be in Manhattan. It's just brutal. I may as well be homeless in Manhattan. Speaking of Manhattan, this is something that really uh, irks me uh, lately. Is I read an article this morning about this uh, uh, cafe in New York that I used to visit every time I was there. 
been going there for 20-something years every time I was in New York, which used to be quite a lot. And then I also read about this great old Italian restaurant in San Francisco that's closing, and it's because there these the, the cafe had been there in New York for 100 years. This cafe, this restaurant, this Italian, beautiful Italian restaurant in San Francisco had been there for 50, 60 years, family-owned, both family-owned the entire time. And they got priced out by renters, or by the, they got priced out by the landlords. And, you know, because of, I know America loves its fucking capitalism and how precious it is, and we think it's some kind of right but what really irks me is that you know New York and San Francisco these these there should be laws about this because there or some kind of rule or some kind of protection to these people because they're intricate parts of the city they are what makes New York and San Francisco great places to visit they give it character they give it culture and these cities are pricing it out and soon it's just going to be these rich fucking grotesque nightmarish restaurants that no one wants to go to even if you do have the money I mean, sure, maybe it's delicious, but it's just going to be, you know, what kind of character, what kind of conversation are you going to have with a bunch of rich fucking people? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, if you're all just accountants and, like, financial district business dudes, like, who the, like, where, you're shoving out your artists and your culture and your, and the, and the, the people who built your cities for what? For garbage. It's, it's infuriating to me. And uh, I, it'll be interesting to see what our cities are like. You know, I mean, certain cities, I mean, Chicago isn't doing that, and that's why it's the best city in the country. But uh, I don't know. Just food for thought. It's really upsetting me because I love nothing more than an old, old bar and with, you know, or an old, old cafe or restaurant where the people have owned it for a thousand years and you have an interesting conversation and they give you some history and they are the character of a of the city and if you take that away you don't have a city you just have a giant gated community or a suburb with high rises and who the fuck wants that <laughs> all right i'm done i want to say uh, uh uh this conversation i was really stuffy i've been having very bad allergies so i sound a little funny and uh whatnot but it's still a great conversation i'm very honored cyrus garamani did that did the show here's the conversation Just so I don't fuck up when I do the intro later. How do I pronounce it? Garamani. Garamani, you're used to that. Is that yeah. Italian? It's Persian. Persian, Italian. Yeah. Same. Same. It's very thing. similar. Yeah. Garamani. Um, uh, yeah. I've been doing a lot of... I've been getting credited as King Cyrus King on a bunch of stuff, too. What is that? Is that from Hot Karate or something? Um, I started using it when I did... Uh, um, when I did Joe Mandy's record, but then it was also when I found out that Jack White was Jack White because he took Meg Meg's White. name, uh, that my girlfriend's name is Shannon King. And I was like, oh, what if I did <laughs> I was like, this is my out. I'm like tired of being like, what was the last name? I'm like G-H. Do, you, do we know what Jack White's real last name is? Are we recording right now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know what his last name is. It's probably something horrible. Like, uh, that's what I'm thinking. Like uh, Birmingham, like, that would be great. Yeah, he's uh, th that's uh, how did you go from? Because 
how did you get involved in the comedy world? That's what's really because you come from a like a metal. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy, not crazy, but it was just completely not what I expected. Um, and it was fine. It was actually really lovely. I like my entire <laughs> life is built on this now. But um, I was, uh, I mean, I went to when I moved to LA. I was just looking for jobs in a recording sense. And I eventually got hired by Earwolf to do all of their podcasts. And then in the time that I was there, just kind of became friends with like anyone that was any good. And then <laughs> and then we ended up doing some shows together or just doing little odd projects together. And, and I got out of there. But I, I didn't, I wasn't like a comedy fan. After I moved here, someone took me to Meltdown and I was like, oh, cool. This is so cool. There's beer here. <laughs> but, but not not like oh like i know these comics or any of this material or anything and and it was funny to later realize oh this like person that i've met i'd seen them before or, or something but i had no sense of like anyone's like legacy or maybe legacy is the wrong word but like there's definitely like ranks in comedy here and i didn't know who anybody was and um and i kind of just got thrown into it just because i'm good at recording but I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't something that was in my plan at all. When I moved to L.A., I thought I would, you know, write music either for myself or for other people or that I would, you know, have some sort of like music oriented job and then or at least a recording oriented job. And then I got the comedy thing and ended up being like kind of the like like a central comedy music person, not musical comedy, but like pr high production comedy for the last couple of years, because like. Gelman and I got teamed up to work it with each other there um, at Earwolf. They were like, you guys should meet each other. And then that kind of spawned everything because we were like, let's go do shows. Let's go on the road. Let's, you know, make records. Let's." He's doing like this adult sp swim special now that I'm scoring. And um, it's just like kind of chance that that all, you know, developed. So L.A. just you came here for one thing and L.A. spun you, which it does, spun you in a completely different direction. Yeah, although I, I also came here not having any sense of direction i was just like down to work on good things and i um i'd moved here from portland where i went to college and had like a miserable experience musically where i was just not finding anyone that i could work with or even you know studios that i could work with or, or talent that i could record just because it's super inclusive or exclusive there and um i was just like not cool enough to hang i was constantly <laughs> getting kicked out of bands for being like too good at playing it's fucking weird yeah they, they get like that pseudo bullshit punk rock ethic up there that well i can't tell you how many times people have said like hey man it's not about how many notes you play it's like what notes you play I'm like i know i'm like picking specific notes and i'm playing a lot of them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i had i had a shit time in in portland creatively but moved here and and kind of things just got rolling quickly i really think that teaming up with brett was like an insane launching point for things because we found, I, I mean, I also, I don't have any sense of like what he was doing until he met me like four years ago. I don't know what he was like on stage until we started making this like nightmare together. But, uh, <laughs> but we were like, it seemed like we were a good fit for each other to do like the Galmania podcast and to kind of shake things up in live shows. And also we, I'm not like superstitious, but, we're like both from Highland Park 
Illinois. Are you really? Yeah. I had no idea. I'm from, well, as you know, Chicago. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I moved when I was like 13, and I haven't really been back since, so I can't say that I'm from Chicago. But, but like, you know, we were, we dealt with the same garbage people out there, <laughs> and uh, I mean, the North Shore is like some real shit, and uh, entitled shit. <laughs> like pretty golden shit and and it uh and but we you know we went to like the same schools and he was when we met he was like oh you're lily's brother because my sister was next to him in the yearbook every year oh that's hilarious yeah so so you know we i was lucky to like find someone like that to collaborate with a lot i mean i'm in a, a weird spot too because as i find like my i'm still you know i still feel like i'm like starting constantly because i'm you know still feel green and uh as i try to figure out what my role is in things i realize i work really well like collaborating with someone and bringing the best out of them i don't know so that was that was a really good experience where uh, I don't no know. the, I don't the know stuff why. you do with brett gelman is it's i mean i remember the first time i saw it i was just like i'm just i i'm stuck on that because that's also like how we met you know yeah it's and, like it's, and i think it's it's Interesting when you said like you had no sense of because the comedy world is kind of status oriented. I think am uh, I crazy? But to to walk into that world and have no concept of that who is who, yeah, is actually the luckiest thing to ever happen. Because then you're just going to treat everybody like, hey, you're just some guy. Yeah. Although I also feel like I don't I don't know. I feel like I got in right at the last moment that some of these guys were just some guy. Like the first <laughs> person I met was John Daly. And um, I was like, had absolutely no idea who he was. And I, I had, like gone to Earwolf. It was my first day. I was like excessively formal dressed. And uh, I was like. Um, well, you thought it'd be like a fancy pants office? I just didn't know. And, and I, I didn't want to fuck it up. And I, I was kind of understudying for the week with, uh, with Dustin. And, and he was like, this is a really big deal. I'm going to you know, be working with John and he is the funniest person that you'll ever meet. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, how did he know about these people? I didn't know that there were comedy fans until, until I started working at Earwolf. And then everyone I was working with was like a huge fan. And I, I, it just didn't click with me. I thought it was uh, everything I worked on and like heard was brilliant, but I didn't, uh, it actually, I guess I kind of had a reputation there for being stone-faced and not, like, you know, being a fan or losing my cool during a session, like, cracking up <laughs> until one of the, like, company or, like, this Christmas event that uh, a bunch of comedians did and Neil Hamburger did a set, and I lost it so bad when he went on. It was, like, the funniest thing I've ever heard. Oh, uh, Jonah's girl? I don't know. I know she's from. I know she's from that area. I don't know if she's Highland Park. I feel like she's Northwest suburbs. I, I could know, be totally wrong. For the people that don't know, Highland Park is like uh, the most affluent. I don't know if affluent's the right word. It, it's like really. Uh, I was just like. I don't know how to say anything without sounding like super bad, but like it was like ninety nine percent Jewish too. Oh, that's not bad. It is. North Shore of Chicago is like all Jewish. Yeah. Not, Especially not, like Skokie. Not, not saying anything by that other than that I just like, there was no one else like me there. You know? A Persian is a little r rare in Chicago. Yeah. Well, it's also like, this was an area that is so well off that I was, 
my parents are doctors and like our family was really well off and I was bullied for being poor. <laughs> People were like, you live in a box. It's like, no, I don't. This is like a, a great house. But uh, that's the type of area it was. And we moved from there to La Jolla in San Diego, which is, you know, I had a very similar experience, but it was, well, San Diego. It was with like entitled surf jocks. That's fucking, uh, that's weird that rich kids are like, you're not rich enough. <laughs> yeah, no, th- but that's, that's how it is. And, um, and, you know, my, my family having any sort of wealth is something I always distance myself uh, from, too. Because why do you, why? I think that, uh, I think that growing up in somewhere like Highland Park, I saw what, like, you know, people that didn't have to work for themselves ended up like, you know? Yeah. And I just, I knew I never wanted to, you know, be like them. Anyway. Is that why you headed off to Portland? Were there? I headed to Portland because I was in San Diego and I needed to get out. And I definitely didn't want to go to L.A. because I hated it here. And San Francisco was out of the question because every single girl I ever dated moved to San Francisco. <laughs> and uh, And then kind of Portland was just the next stop up there and I'd never visited before I just moved it was it was pre-Portlandia so it was real good and then after that show hit it was like uh, yeah it's uh, it's gotten a little like it's a little cart- it's almost kind of accurate how cartoony yeah it's like charity everyone's like playing harmonicas and barefoot and burlap and uh, yeah I call it the city of white people with black feet yeah <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend's family's from there and you know we have to go back sometimes but I it's there's no charm there for me. I'm glad I could just came and went. It was a good time for me to be on my own. And, you know, everything kind of seemed like just a little bit of treading water until I got to L.A. And then you find enough things to be busy about. Did you know people in L.A. or did you kind of come here a little cold? Came here cold, too. That's fucking terrifying, isn't yeah. it? But you came here, you knew nobody. Because it's like I came here and I knew about 20 people that I'd known for half my life. And that's not even an exaggeration. You moved here from Chicago? New York. Or were you in New York? I was yeah. in New York. That's how I met Brett and John Daly. And those were days. you doing UCB with everyone else? Uh, I kind of was doing UCB. I knew the UCB guys from Chicago. I did some stuff around there, but I loved everybody, but I just kind of felt like my sensibility never fit with them, and yeah. I kept trying to force it. And uh, they just approach it differently than me. I was in awe of everybody there. I just... And I don't, and I don't think that anyone was like the wire blows. <laughs> but I just like I just didn't feel like it was my sort of vibe. But it's all I had when I lived in New York, and I didn't really know many people in New York. But yeah, moving to LA, just like I feel like knowing people or not knowing anybody doesn't really make a difference. I learned in the first year I was here, the more you, uh, the more you drink, the more people you'll meet. So the first year <laughs> here, I was like. I was just like shit beer and and uh, and burritos every day, and um, and that's how you met like other musicians and stuff. No, that actually didn't work for me at all. But <laughs> but it was kind of fun. I mean, I was like just out of college. And I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I um, yeah, I was just kind of trying out and like looking at Craigslist shit for every recording gig I could find. I was like, I'm gonna find some way to get paid for doing this, and. I found the Earwolf listing and, you know, went through them. And I was with them for for a while. Maybe it was just a year, but it felt like forever. Earwolf, it was really draining. They listed in, 
Craigslist? Yeah. That's so weird to me because it seems like they would know, like that just seems like an, such an insider place to me. Well, Earwolf is like a really, you know, pro operation now, but at the time it was like, uh, it was like really not glam. We were, we were just like no AC, everything disorganized. And, uh, but now they've got their shit together. But at the time, yeah, it was just like this open Craigslist call. Like f- some hundreds of people trying out for it, and then I got the gig, and I think maybe partly because I had, you know, hung out a little bit in the alley afterwards with Dustin. We were like <laughs> talking about Can. He's like, "Whoa, you know Can," and uh, and so maybe he put in a good word, but but yeah, after after that, I mean, uh, leading up to that, there wasn't a whole lot happening. I kind of started playing with hot karate around then too or just before then did you join hot karate or did you start hot karate i joined it i mean it was a um it was i'd also because i had such like a lousy experience in portland i was really discouraged from playing in bands and i'd been in you know a serious band before and just been like i don't want to ever you know try to promote a band again i don't it's like a miserable experience so i but I started playing with these guys just because they were friends, you know, and it was just how we hung out. And then as we did shows and, and recordings, there was some buzz behind it. So we're like, this is great. This is this feels less uh, less vain, you know. And do you do guitar solos with the bass? Yeah. Is that really, how does that? Well, when I when I joined the band, I was doing lead guitar and I was really um, just doing kind of like some like flashy playing but and singing. But. Uh, there was a bass player before and he quit a couple years ago and so I switched to bass but wanted to still play my solos so I have this rig where I can you know pitch my bass up and it sounds like a guitar but I'm playing on bass strings that's kind of awesome yeah I don't know anyone else that does that but um, does that alone get some sort of weird attention yeah at a show it does on a record I don't think people know I think people (laughs) are like oh cool it's a guitar solo but it's it's a bass which I, I don't know I was never like a bass player and as a kid, like listening to, listening to Metallica, eventually I found out like, oh, that was a bass on like some early stuff. They had like bass solos, but this is this is way different because it's high pitched. Yeah, to me, coming to LA to be a comedian is like one thing because you could just go to open mics and dick around until you work your way up. To start a to be in a band in LA just seems like the worst. It seems like an impossible road to begin with, but it seems like even worse here. Well, I mean, the first thing in is like to completely rein in your expectations because <laughs> I think that, I mean, no matter where you are, I don't think this is something exclusive to LA. I think, I think about like, I thought about this in San Diego too. It was, I don't know the last LA band that made it, you know? I don't know the last like big band to come out of San Diego either. And it, it's, uh, and, I, the bands that make it over the last like couple of years, they're just like not on my radar, I guess. But you know, you can't go into it thinking that you're gonna have like a '90s experience because that doesn't happen. It's got to just be for fun. And then if something awesome happens from it, that's great. Do you pay like close attention to the? Because it's LA's got a pretty big indie scene, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's also it's it's so clicky. Even the indie stuff is clicky, and it's like impossible to book some venues if you're not you know really tight with someone or or you know really cool looking or something (laughs) and there's also la was the first time that i saw there's a lot of you have to pay to play places here 
a lot of venues you have to put down a deposit and that's just like bad for everybody that's totally i mean it's amazing to me have you done that yeah i did we did that uh for a show at the whiskey a go-go it was like oh this is like a legendary place this is like an important stepping stone to do so we did it and then all the other bands on on the bill had also bought their way onto it and they were all garbage and they none of us had anything in common with each other we were the there was like we're suicide romance and, and like my band's not like a metal band you know it's heavy and it's loud and it's fast but it's not riffy or like heavy metal it's it's just you know it's more on like the dinosaur junior end of things musically yeah because somebody said metal and i always and when i listen to it i'm like i was like i wouldn't say metal but it's like yeah like what you said dinosaur junior yeah but metal I get, to me I i'm still stuck in the 80s that i'm like uh <laughs> i get why i would be like grouped in with like metal guys because i grew up listening to like thrashy stuff and i've you know got long hair and i play guitars so what is the whiskey like because it's like what is that night like because i'm so like the, the whiskey a go-go you plant you go there and it's like this is where the doors were and this is where guns and roses was and then you know it's also where like all of their roadies bands play now it's like not a prestigious place anymore like the roadies, a, like so it's like a bunch of 50 year old yeah dudes i mean it's it's who probably still dress the same yeah and you see a lot of like hair like like big hair like i mean i have big hair but i mean like feathered hair mine's big by accident <laughs> they're just like really on purpose they all look like clowns like hollywood here i'm, I'm so glad you don't live in in hollywood it's such a dump and it's, it's such remarkable. it's a people dump do you live in hollywood no no no, I'm near downtown, but but it's a people dump. It's like it's a it's like a, a place where people go to spin their wheels. Yeah, know, I have mud. to go to like uh, Hollywood next week, like Hollywood Boulevard, and I'm like, because it's like I kind of on one hand I enjoy the holy shit you're stuck in the '80s type weirdness. Yeah, like every dude who ever was in a band is stuck in that decade yeah but the only thing it's missing is it doesn't have the like success of the 80s it's everything about the 80s except for anybody making any money yeah it's gotta but was it when you started playing at the go-go were you like the whiskey <laughs> yeah but i mean were you like was there that feeling of like oh shit this ain't what i thought it was no i mean i had fun but i was also like i'm not coming back here um I mean, it's nice to play a big stage with, like, a good, you know, good lights and good sound. But it was also, I don't, these aren't people I want to play music for. And, and it's not like a a sort of, uh, it's not like a system I want to be in of, like, oh, cool, we've booked this thing. We've got to get all our friends to do pre-sale tickets. I like playing shows for free. I, I'm way more into throwing, like, a warehouse party and, you know, putting my record out for free. Like any any money that comes in from it, that's cool. But you know, I don't care enough to go bothering my friends to buy tickets and and that. And no one no one wants to do that. Did any were there like? Do you get money back if you get a number of people there, or they I just think like you fuck get the you. money you gave them back? That's so fucking. Do they force drinks down everybody's throats too? Yeah, I mean that says like two like drink minimum. But I, you know, I don't think I've been anywhere in my life where the drink minimum was actually enforced. I guess you haven't been at a comedy club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking maybe the improv. But the improv and like the, well, that awful place in Burbank, the uh, flappers. Flappers. Which they charged my girlfriend to come in and I was like, fuck off. Oh man. I was pretty pissed. 
Well, did she was she impressed? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you're playing Burbank. <laughs> but that's like, so like when you ended up when the comedy thing started happening, was that just were you just like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm just gonna go with it? Isn't that kind of perplexing? to you I mean to me it is it's like you're like I'm a music dude and now you're like working with I would say some of the more interesting comedians and some of the bigger comedians that are like out there right now I'm sitting with one of them right now (laughs) no I think that uh, I think I don't know I I I was really stuck on this philosophy of just say yes to everything that's coming to me and if it's if it's working you just kind of keep pushing it and, you know, in the beginning, it felt um, insincere because I was just hitting record and monitoring the levels. And it's not really I knew that's like not what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I was just, you know, recording podcasts for months before before Gelman and I got our hands dirty. And then I was able to, like, you know, start sneaking in like, oh, I can like do production stuff or I've written this piece of music that's going in here. And uh, I remember it occurring to me, like, oh, what if I want to do music for, like, a show or write music in some capacity? But it's it's hard to do anything like that on purpose, you know? I think that things accidentally happened to me, but it wasn't so much because of just, like, luck. It was just because I could, you know, the skill was there, and then I just had an opportunity to... I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't. The thing is, I thought about it all so little that it's hard for me to go back and like <laughs> paraphrase what I did because I was. Uh, it was really like on autopilot for years. It was just like things started, you know, building and building, and then only in the last year or two have I been able to pick and choose like the things that I do. Yeah, I would say. I mean, it's it's interesting to me because you're. You, had, you just sort of stumbled into it, I guess. But it's like some of the stuff you've done with these comedians, I would say, is like innovative. Like the shit you do with Gelman. Yeah. Uh, I forget. Uh, I think it was at the UCB where he was just like, he was kind of just like ragging on the audience. Yeah. <laughs> you were like doing all this really fucked up stuff with the sound. And, uh, yeah. Like, well, when, when we, uh, I mean, it had started with recordings where it was like, this isn't just enough to have you yelling at people on a podcast. People will turn it off. Let's, you know, warp your voice. I can like run it through synthesizers. And I was playing music behind everything and adding like explosions. And, uh, and then, you know, we were doing the podcast for a while before he was like, Hey, I'm going to do, I'm doing UCB come down and let's do this. Or he booked us to do a couple different festivals up and down the coast. And, I was like, now I have to figure out how to do this live. And then eventually it became that uh, he doesn't really do live stuff without me, where like we feed off each other live and we improvise now live. But it, w- it was, it took some, it took some figuring it out, but it also came really quickly and naturally where I was like, oh, of course this, you know, of course this should be like thunderous and, and, uh, demonic sounding i mean that that feel like took very little thought on my part but i think that actually doing it live is something that people hadn't done and um yeah it kind of it kind of just grew from there i know it speaks a lot to your because i would think for one a lot of people would be intimidated to work with if you don't have a comedy background to suddenly be on stage and improvising with a guy is 
Most people would shit their pants. I think they would shit their pants if they like really knew who they were dealing <laughs> with. But I didn't know, I didn't know that like Brett was you know working as much as as he did, or that he had the following that he does. Um, this this is just stuff that I think the reason I was able to grow out of Earwolf so quickly is because I just didn't give a shit. If I met someone and I got along with them, that was all I cared about. Like if they wanted to work on some stuff, that's really cool. I was in, in no way like climbing if that makes any sense yeah that's probably oh man you that's why it's like same with with john we were just like you know we met at earwolf and then we met doing some different stuff and especially after you know brett and i were getting the shows going he was like we just got together to like jam and record some silly stuff and like that peppers the chili peppers parody we we recorded for fun like a year and a half before we put it out oh really yeah and then it, just the opportunity, it wouldn't have been as, it wouldn't have blown up like it did if we weren't like, oh, this is the perfect time to put this out. And you, did you, because didn't a lot of people think that that was the new single? Like, how did you guys yeah. go about that? Because that, to me, was like, I, it was fucking, I want to say genius, because it was just yeah. like, and it was, it was. It was nuts. It really, it really went out of control. I mean, it, it, uh, it was written up in like every music magazine and, and website. And a couple of them, like Yahoo, thought that they were like, "Oh, this is this is you know the real thing, and this is you know showing some growth." And people on Twitter, <laughs> I love that they thought that showed some growth. I, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter people on Twitter were like, "Oh, it's such a shame that Flea is playing bass on this garbage song." And I don't know how you could listen to it and not know that it's that it's like absolutely ridiculous. But it just goes like people are asleep. People aren't listening carefully. It rides such a thin line, though, because it is, it's like, it is totally silly, but there is, like, moments where you're like, yeah, the Chili Peppers would say something that stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, John just, like, we hadn't talked about it too much. He's like, hey, we're going to, let's record this Chili Peppers parody. And he came and he had all the lyrics, it required no edit. He just, like, like sang and rapped the whole thing, and he had all the melodies and I just live just like did the guitar under him. And it was for me, I was just like, what do I remember about what the Chili Peppers sound like? It wasn't like a careful process. It was just like, I think they do this sort of like <laughs> this sort of stupid guitar part. And then just I was noodling the bass as much as I could. And then the drums just like super hard but with no toms, just like snare, 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 snare. And uh, yeah, that just came together quickly. And we we're like, this is funny, but I don't want to put this out. No one wants to, no one's going to listen to this. But then when they were announced to do the Super Bowl last year, I'm like, let's put together like a whole corporate site and put Pepsi logos all over it. Oh, you and put together the site too? Yeah, I did the site and uh, designed it and put this like Dodge Durango. And it was the most like iHeartRadio, like corporate looking thing. <laughs> and, and so that got shared because they were like, oh, well, clearly this is real. No one would, <laughs> no one would fake something this bad looking. And uh, yeah, it just, it just, that just really, uh, blew up and you know that was another cool thing for me where uh as i was like you know really starting to get things rolling in la that's an example of something you know people kept telling me free work is going to lead to more free work and that's so stupid because the chili peppers thing was free work we did it for fun and i put it out and that led to real work for me in a way that I didn't expect. Like I'll go in to meet with someone about doing music for their show. They're like, we love the chili peppers thing. And 
and that's the launching point for me. You know, it was it's something that came up. I did music last year for Eric Andre's show and for a Curl show, and both times they were like, "We love the Chili Peppers thing. Can we do something that's kind of, I don't know." It just it was a really unsuspect unsuspected way uh, for me to be on people's radar. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's it's when you move to LA, you get first of all you get a shit ton of bad advice. Yeah, <laughs> and I got a I got a ton of it to, to some, which I think stunted my career for I will say a few years because I was like I ain't doing that for free. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean that's it, that's something they say in like because I also had some like previous work in like graphic design and web stuff, which you know played towards the Chili Peppers thing too just as like college side gigs and they were like uh people were always saying free work will lead to more free work and my sister is a talented uh illustrator and you know pretty successful and established herself and she would tell me the same thing but i think that that's like the worst mentality to for like young people to be picking up on i think that you should your only criteria should be is this good is this is this fun and is this good we're going to get back to the conversation here in one moment, but I just want to take out this time to uh, make you aware of, if you go to my page at feralaudio.com, the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page, and if you click on the Amazon link, and if you use that anytime you purchase things like uh, groceries, um, medicine, shampoo, DVDs, Feral Audio and Conversations with Matt Dwyer gets a kickback of that money, and that can help us uh, keep our lights on and buy equipment. I currently desperately need a new recorder so I can do more extensive interviews with more than two people at a time. Uh, this would help me out greatly. You can also donate through that donate button on my pages as well. Um, so if you really want to buy me a new Zoom recorder, that would be awesome. Thank you very much for listening. Back to the conversation. It seems like... Uh, the better quality, especially in comedy stuff, is tends to be free. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, it's like because people are doing what they want to do and they're not f falling subject to like producers going, well, we need it to, to be more like it's like you going, fuck it, we're doing this because we want to do this. Yeah, I mean, and there's some, I like seeing the opposite of that happening too here and there. Like, I like when a show will, even if they can only pay the the comedians like a twenty dollar bill each or 10 bucks or whatever they have that the, I like when a show will make some gesture of showing that like they're sharing the wealth. And I know a couple different comedians that are like, you know, very vocal about don't put your stuff out for free or why would you do a show and not charge a, you know, an entrance fee, a cover. You're saying that you're not worth anything. And I get that. But I also, I know from experience playing with a little, you know, with hot karate, which is just a little loud indie band and just, you know, a free show. I'd rather play a free show to a full room than a, you know, 10 person show that I made some cash on. Yeah. It seems too like there's a, uh, I don't like saying punk rock ethic, but yeah. there does seem to be a lot more of that sort of Fugazi influence mentality of like fucking just do shit and do it yourself in the comedy scene, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, podcasting is a huge part of that. And that was that was another thing. Just as I was oblivious to all the uh, to all of the people I was working with when I started at Earwolf, I had no idea that podcasting was like huge, or or that it was like a booming thing, and uh, and and it was being discussed as this punk DIY thing, 
where it's like, you know, fuck putting out records and, and, you know, working with a label or, or whatever, you know, we're able to make ourselves part of like the media people are consuming just for free. Yeah. On our own. It's, it's, I think it's way better to do, to take that approach in general. Cause it's like, you will find, if you're doing good stuff, I kind of, I believe you'll find an audience and then. I mean, no one makes a lot of money off of records anyway these days, do no, they? No, but I think that... Because uh, they worked for free? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I don't really know, but I, th- I think that it, it's... Uh, I think that because podcasts are such a frequent thing, you find your audience. You know, your stuff goes out there and there are people that will, that will take it in. Yeah, it's into, but I mean, I feel that same way with music. But I mean, I mean, I don't know what it was like before. I don't know what comedy was like before podcasts. It was a lot harder to get... I mean, before you could, you know, buy a digital recorder and put shit... I mean, it was, like, impossible. Or, like, now that how easy it is to make a short film, you know, because you you could do it on an iPhone, technically. Yeah. And it's just... It's like you, you can record an album on your laptop opposed to, like, 15 years ago, what, you'd have to go to a studio and spend a fuck ton of money? Yeah, I mean, everything about about the work that I do is predicated on being able to, like steal the software and just teach myself how to do it. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I was just a teenager, like, you know, messing around on a computer and learned to do Photoshop stuff and, uh, and eventually music stuff. And I, w- I was just like completely self-taught, but I can't imagine the time when like you had to try to save up money or try to get someone to give you money to go into the studio for a week and like try to have someone directing you through it. I think that being able to do things on your own is a lot cooler and it's, and it's, uh, uh, I guess saying it's more independent is really obvious, but having every step of it be independent is, is very cool. Yeah. When you like, cause I know this from talking with Dustin too, when you were like teaching yourself how to do this stuff, was there like, and a lot of recording guys <coughs> are a little bit more like, they have heroes like oh Steve Albini's my god yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. and was there was was were you listening to stuff like that to more like intensely like figuring out how people recorded no I mean a little bit so when I was in high school I was playing in in heavy metal bands and I started recording because um we had kind of run out of money paying a studio to record us so I I got some equipment and I was doing the final overdubs and stuff ourselves and with heavy metal, it's different. Everything's so formulaic when you listen to metal records. Like every drum sounds the same, every every snare hit should sound the same, and all the good everything's equal volume. Nothing changes. And uh, there are a couple of producers then that was like, "Oh, I can just you know copy this," but it's also, I don't know. I don't really have like heroes that I was I was sticking to their records. I just tried to, as I listen to different albums or bands try to hear the things I like and to know exactly what I like about something rather than just like, Oh, this sounds cool to be like, I like the guitar in this, or I like how this is like extra boomy or whatever. Just to be particular about the things you like and don't like about a sound is I think the only important lesson when you're learning to produce stuff. But I don't know if that's what you were asking. Yeah, yeah, it was. (laughs) But like, I know like guys who study like, Oh, the fucking Beach Boys. No, man, because I, I was I was just visiting my parents and I've got, I was looking, they're like, take away these books. I've got all my like college books. And I was looking on the shelf and I pulled out a book. One of them was like uh, 
behind the glass interviews with the you know best producers and another one was something on film scoring like the complete guide to film scoring and another book was everything you need to know about the music business and i took the three of them down from the shelf and like i had never turned a single page ever <laughs> i never you could tell they were like so solid they'd never been opened and uh i think you know part of the problem is, i mean i'm not like i'm not like busy or established to a level where where people are asking me for advice but if they were, I think that like, that's not, that's that's already on the wrong step. I'm such a believer in that everything I, everything I did, leading up to here came coming from like a place of not planning it, um, and not reading those books, uh, worked in my favor. It seems kind of, and to anybody I've talked to, like any artist and stuff, they only went to like, they only went to school because they had access to materials. <clears throat> and you know they weren't there to really learn they were yeah. just there to like sort of keep doing their own thing because some of the best artists I know have been told like by their teachers like don't do that yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I wanted to when I was in high school I wanted to draw and I remember just like getting whipped by the art teacher I was like you're doing this wrong and this is too surreal or this you know you have bad technique like no let me I just liked doing what I was doing and I don't know I, I watched this heavy metal this like Norwegian death metal documentary and they were interviewing this guy and he was saying like you do not go to art school to learn to be an artist you cannot buy it something something um so i mean i kind of believe that too yeah it's like those old <clears throat> god damn it the old film guys were like they didn't have film school they just went and made fucking movies yeah and it's like now it's become you know it's such a go to film school and you learn how to do all this and i'm like Maybe that's why there isn't so many good movies. Yeah, I mean, I think that also a lot of people's reservations come from a place of like wanting to make sure they are totally confident about what they're doing before they do it. But that's not right either. I mean, a lot of amazing bands, every good record they made was because they were certain they were about to get dropped from the label. They were like, let's just do what we want to do. And because they did that, it played to their success. That's interesting. Yeah. Rush, <laughs> Rush did that. Rush did that. Which album? Like all of their '70s records. There's this really. Oh, they amazing, thought they were constantly going to get yeah, dropped by their label. There's this amazing documentary on how it was basically. Like, do you ever see the Anvil movie? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I used was, to call myself the Anvil of comedy. Oh come on. <laughs> anyway, the Anvil movie made me cry like a baby, but it uh, the Rush movie is the exact opposite. The entire movie is like, look what a successful, accidentally successful Canadian band we are, and how happy we are, and how easy our lives are. That's funny. <laughs> I, had, I always just assumed Rush was just like gigantic. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, you know, like no, I, I guess they were like, for every record they did in the seventies, uh, they said that they were certain they were going to lose all their fans and get dropped from the label. So they like, let's just do exactly what we want to do and not try to write anything that, you know, people will want to hear. Are you? And then, Sorry. Am I... I was just going to... Are you a big Rush fan? I am. Yeah. But I mean, not... I have reservations about saying that too because I think that, <laughs> that that's kind of like a bad type of person. I just... I saw him when I was 13 and I was like stoned to the bejesus and yeah. I was like... And I was bored and I was like, 13, stoned and bored? What's going on? <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's like... A, I, I've started to have a pretty good understanding of like the things... I mean, because this is something that I know is uncool. And I know that 
my enjoyment of it is not something I can like play for someone and be like, you hear this? It's just something that kind of was born out of like, as I was learning to be really, as I was like teaching myself music theory, you know, and, and understanding like odd parts about music. I was like, cool, I can listen to this. And this is like, uh, this is, you know, everything's chopped and screwed in this like nerdy seventies way. But yeah, it's not cool. <laughs> it's not, it's not cool music. But you, you also hear, you listen to something like that and you hear something completely, I hear Getty Lee's voice and I'm just like, can we stop? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I guess I've like never had a problem with people, with guys with high shrieking voices. Cause first of all, I kind of have one when I'm singing. And also, I mean, uh, for some reason, Rush, the vocals didn't like stand out to me as a problem. And same with like in high school, my favorite band was Megadeth and people were like, how do you like Dave Mustaine's voice? Is he sounds like an idiot. I but can't even think of what he sounds like off the top of like, Matt Dwyer. <laughs> he was like everything. Like <laughs> I would love it if he did sing about me. Yeah, I mean, maybe right we can after get him one in of here. His, yeah, <laughs> after one of his Obama rants. Is he the one who's rants about Obama? Yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, we all are. But no, he's extra crazy. Yeah, he's, he's kind of going like, off the deep end. Yeah, I think that's a funny thing. I mean, I remember like growing up and seeing him like. You know, wearing a bullet belt and throwing up a peace sign in front of like the, you know, Democratic convention in '92, and he was like an MTV News. Oh, rocker really? For a long time, yeah. That's a little piece of like Megadeth bass that was the MTV News music when the thing would spin. Oh, I didn't know that. And it would fade out. Yeah, he was like super liberal and politically active and anti-war, and now he's like a complete. I always wonder how that happens. Like Dennis Miller was like Johnny Lefty. Yeah, I mean, is it I like know, people they, lose their <clears throat> sense of humor? That's what I was wondering. It's like, is it that they just get a bunch of money and then they're like, gotta protect it, no taxes? Like, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I think that that's something that I think is so scary. Everybody, every old person will tell you, like, oh, at some point you're gonna be a Republican, like everybody else that's my age, and and uh, the idea of like. That at some point you just completely flip your your beliefs is is something I'm. Isn't that scary? It is weird, and then like, yeah, I mean, like at some old people they slowly become like racist. And it's I don't like, think that happens. I think that they were like they slowly oh, they just, realize. Oh yeah, they just become more comfortable with it. I like to say it. this. <laughs> <laughs> I've well, I mean, my mom does that. She's like, she's like, well, I'm at an age where I don't have to. Blah blah blah, and it's like, no, you have to. Yes, it, yeah. your age is not an excuse to be an asshole. And my mom's kind of an asshole. She's a Christian asshole on top of it. Oh, my favorite kind. <laughs> the ones that are supposed to be loving and tolerant, but yeah. she's really just judgmental and awful and passive aggressive. I was uh, I was playing this show the other night, and a van, like a van with a speaker on it, and someone yelling uh, Bible verses in Korean. Just pulled up and was like, like yelling at me, and maybe they were saying something nice, but I was like, "Oh, it always comes off hostile. They're aggressive." Well, they were probably being hostile too. Yeah, as I think about like, well, there is a hostility towards it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I in in Portland is the first time I got this sort of thing on a daily basis, sort of like someone screaming, "Repent!" And I'd see the same guy on campus every day. That was that was like you know, yelling that we're all sinners and we're going to the lake of fire. And it's like, I, I did, I studied philosophy in college. Oh, really? So I, this was just like, 
this was just candy for me. <laughs> I'd go up and argue, and, and like my professors would walk up and be like, Cyrus, why are you like engaging with this person? He's like mentally ill. Like, no, it's fun. It's fun for both of us. And it's like, no, he probably was just mentally ill. Did they ever get? Did they listen though? Did what? you? Did you? Were you able to engage them, or were they just still in their rant mode? I would mostly. I mean, I mostly backed off the idea of trying to debate, and would be like, "Hey, this is a university. We're trying to learn, you jackass. Like, <laughs> this is supposed to be a peaceful, nice lawn, and you're yelling. And please go home, Christians. You can't. No one's listening to you. No one will ever listen to you. It's true. Christians don't have the. They have that escape route of logic of it's like, well, they're lost. Sure. And that's how they view everybody. So there's no like, you can't go up to a Christian and be like, I'm gonna put some facts to them and they're going to be like, oh yeah, you're right. Because it's, to you, or to them, they're, you're just lost and don't know the truth. Which is such a fucking arrogant thing. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I feel, I have mixed feelings about all of it because I, I on one hand, I am like a complete non-believer. And on the other hand, I realize that the only, the only times that the that someone coming up in my mind is like, oh, they're a Christian or they're, you know, super religious is when they're bad people. And so I'm, I've started realizing recently, like, oh, maybe they're like good religious people all, all over my life and I should just like leave them alone. But, uh, I don't know. There's, there's, uh, some sort of like obligation to not deceive yourself or other people or, yeah, I don't know. Christopher Hitchens' books are another ones that like I bought and never opened a single page of. <laughs> so, I have a yeah, I have a few of those. I, I have like mostly a, got it to like get people to give me bad looks when they come over and look at my bookshelf. Yeah, you gotta have a few books on the shelf for the like the ladies to make. Like I have like the Howard Zinn reader and yeah. the uh, Cornell West reader, and that just uh-huh. makes Cornell West has not been cracked. Zinn a little. Yeah, you like. But it I've makes got, you look like, good, you know. Autobiography of uh, of Gandhi <laughs> on my shelf right now. And it's like I'll read it someday, maybe. Just get some feminist book. That's really good. Like put up some, you know, Gloria I, Steinem and I some. I got one Andre. recently, and my girlfriend was like, "What's this? What do you think you're doing?" But I don't, rem- <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It was just like, you know, it was a required reading from one of my classes, and I was like, "Oh, I'll grab it." And it was, it's called like the Problem with All Men or something like that. And it's like. Shouldn't buy that. I'm not that self-loathing. No. Yeah. Is there a philosophy, like, philosopher that you subscribe to, or are you just sort of total a... No. I mean, I totally took... And, and that's the other that's the other problem is when I tell people that I studied philosophy in college, they're either like, <laughs> oh, you're dumb. Why'd you do that? Or, or they'll be like, me too. Let's talk about something, something. And I don't... I completely approached it as like a writing class. That's it was like I would read something, I would write about it, and move on. I, d- I was not adopting stuff as like my beliefs. But. A lot of it, especially when people talk about there, is a bit of like inter- intellectual circle jerking of like, well, like it's yeah. just like, all right, fucking cool out. Yeah, I mean, it was also like, I'm like an unbelievable bullshitter. <laughs> so I was able to really put it to practice. Well, that's a great skill in LA, unbelievable bullshitter. That'll, yeah. that'll get you. How are we doing? We're good. All right. Uh, what can we plug of yours? Hot karate? I don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing all sorts of awesome shit right now. I uh, I've been recording so much with uh, our mutual friend Ryan, 
Katner from Man Man. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm always I'm always just Ryan. Like, in my phone it says Ryan Man Man. I'm I got Ryan Honus. Right. I I uh, I never change that sort of thing. My my girlfriend is Shannon Coachella in my phone. Did I you met meet? Her, I met her there. How did you fucking meet somebody at Coachella? We were camping next to each other, but we both lived in Portland. That's incredible. So we went back and and we've been dating for years. I love the little connection. Like you meet your girlfriend who's from Portland, but you're camping next to her, Brett Gelman. You I know. Both from there's Island all this Park. stuff. I feel like. And you say there's no God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think that I'm sure that some super spiritual, you know, zend out dude would be like, well, you were. You say you were on autopilot, but you were actually in touch with your purest stream of consciousness, and, oh, uh, yeah. and all these things happen. I think that's ridiculous. I, I, uh, things just you know, good things and bad things happen all the time, and if if the good things can stack on each other, then that's great, and I feel like that's kind of what happened. But I'm also not like, you know, so much shit happens too, and you know. It's not like there are gigs that I don't get or th- projects I work on that don't get cut or complete failures that I'll work on once in a while. But I feel like the good things have been good. The good things have been good. Ah, that's so stupid. <laughs> the thing you're doing with Ryan is with a Ryan, children's. I'm, well, yeah. We, so we I've did heard one of the songs. Record. We did, we did, uh, we did a, uh, a seven-inch... Um, we covered... Um, a nerve song and a Danzig song. I've been working. I've been helping him make. Well, I just saw something online about that. Yeah, they put out um, uh, Dana Lechtenberg. Do you know that name? No, uh, but I think that's his name. He uh, he's a dude with the. He was working with the G nineteen eighty eight gallery. He put out this seven inch where like we're one of them on like seven inch white vinyl, which is like a crazy, cool thing. And then it's no age, and then. Uh, two other groups doing, you know, a cover on each side. Um, and so this got put out and, you know, it's it's getting some buzz now. But I've mostly been working on, I've been working on a hot karate record and I've been working on a solo record and I've been working on Ryan's solo record too. Oh, I didn't know he was, he didn't mention that. Yeah, well, <coughs> this or is something that's really developed in the last, last month or two. But um, it's... We we're about 10 songs in and it's kind of crazy because Ryan also just from this sort of chance thing, I met him doing John Daly's podcast. We just like, you know, John brought the two of us together and we hit it off and then uh, working together recently, he and I are a really good pair in a way that like, I can't believe that we weren't already writing stuff before that. I feel the same way working with him that I did when I started working with Gelman, for instance, where it's like we're throwing ideas back and forth and making something that neither of us would have done on our own. Ryan's, uh, yeah, uh, that's great that you guys, and it's weird because I'm like, yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, because now it's like, oh, people like people think we're brothers, you know, like we're 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 real tight. But uh, I didn't know Man Man's music. I just knew that a lot of girls I liked. <laughs> We're obsessed with them. They're like a, they're a band that has a huge female following, and that's something really alien to me as a metal guy. 
Yeah, none of my friends have follow chick followings like bands. Yeah. Like one friends, they they're all like, yeah, we get like forty uh, year old moms and stuff. <laughs> it's like, but Ryan always like kind of like uh, talks down about his music a bit. Like it, at least when I interviewed him, and he's like, ah, and I'm like, yeah, no, he's super. I think that part of it is, I mean, he's this far into it and hasn't done a solo thing, and wasn't sure that he could do it. And I also think that he doesn't. He doesn't get the sort of reassurance that you would think when something is real good, and his shit is really good. He has, and it's it has fucking it's like there's depth. It's not just like here's a song. It's like there's like emotion and heart and great lyrics. Like it's yeah. complicated stuff. It's not just like hey, here's a stupid song. Like it's amazing to me. Yeah, no, he he's doing a really good thing, and and he and I have been the the stuff we're doing now. I mean, it's we're call, it's gonna be his solo record, but I feel like it's um, I feel like every Man Man record is his solo record, and then I done my thing, and then when he puts this out, it's gonna sound like an obvious, like marriage of the sounds. That's gonna be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I can play, I can send you some stuff later, but it uh, um, that's been my my big focus, and I've been doing uh, and then with Gelman, um kind of the biggest thing that he and I have done is that next Friday, well, I don't know when this will go out, but on Friday the 13th, they're airing on Adult Swim. He wrote this half-hour scripted special uh, called Dinner with Family with Brett Gelman and Brett Gelman's family. <laughs> and and it's got this amazing cast, and he he's cast people as his parents, and he's basically slandering them for half an hour. And it's so fucked up, and I did the score for the whole thing. and uh, That sounds great. It is so crazy. So, you know, things are to that's where things are at now and the Ryan sent me a video for the children's album when uh-huh. it, and it's I mean, it's fucking great. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like it's crazy. Like but I was like I, I as an adult I would get it. Like it's got that double for the adults and the kids thing. It's f- yeah, fucking Yeah, I mean, that was incredible. kind of the idea. I but it's also like it was every so every song, it's 31 songs, they're all different styles and we uh Ryan and I don't have kids. We're like barely adults <laughs> and uh, shouldn't be writing a kid's record. So it's really just 31 odd songs. And like, you know, we'd be like, oh, what if this things kind of accidentally fell into different sounds? We're like, this kind of sounds like a talking head song. And this kind of sounds like a Bowie song. And I think it's, you know, not because of us being like, let's write music that the parents will like, too. It's more because people that are writing kids music are like intentionally making kids dumber. They're like, derpy derp, we're gonna eat the purple watermelon. <laughs> it's horrible. So, you know, not making a kid's record without trying to make a kid's record is kind of more what happened than making a kid's record that's also right. cool for adults to listen to. I don't know. It's also really challenging because it's it's super caffeinated and annoying sounding. But <laughs> but it's it's a fun thing. We're gonna put that out this this year too. Do you have uh, like a website and thing where it like? Yeah, all my stuff is at cyrusg.com. There you go. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you've enjoyed the show, please go to themattdwyer.com. Follow all things that are Matt Dwyer. Go to my Feral Audio page, uh, the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page, and use the Amazon link and donate money. Or buy th- use things use that to buy things, and we get a kickback of that at Feral Audio, and that saves us, that helps us, because that's how we make our living. That would be really helpful. Um, and follow me on Twitter. I love you. Bye.
of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.